changes everything. Wow. I hope you are getting as excited as I am for the Wrecked and Redeemed series that is starting one week from today. I'm talking about February 17th. It all kicks off, and I have some really, really big news for you. This week, your staff got together, and the more we talked about it, and the more we thought about the idea of going through this series in church on Sundays and in our life groups and in our mid-sized groups, the more we thought about you not getting the book until the end, the more we struggled with that. You might remember that I shared with you that the publishers are not releasing the book on Amazon until Easter Sunday. But we were struggling with the thought of going through this series without you having the book in hand. And we made some contacts, pulled some strings, and here's the deal. I come letting you know today that we have books at all of our campus locations. If we sell out, we will have more next Sunday for the beginning of this series. And we are now going to be able to read the book be in church on Sundays, don't miss a single Sunday, and then we're gonna be able to do life with others as we gather around this Jesus and we follow him through the Gospel of John and we look at my story and the New Hope story and we bring all of that together in the glorious Gospel of Jesus. And hey, I wanna let you know, I, I probably don't need to let you know this, but I just feel like I should. Every book that is sold within the New Hope movement, all of the money is going to New Hope Church and 10% of it is going to the National Association of Chaplaincy. As most of you know, Chaplain Ray Jones led me to faith in Jesus Christ on October 23rd. And so 10% of all the proceeds will go to chaplaincy but 90% of all the books sold within the New Hope movement is going to New Hope Church. I will not be benefiting from the sale of these books. So buy multiple copies, hand them out, give them to a person or two or three or four and invite them to this series. That's another reason why we thought it would be good to have the books in advance. You can buy one not only for yourself, but buy copies for others, hand it to them, and invite them to a New Hope campus. And again, it starts a week from today. Hey, I also wanna introduce to you a friend of mine. His name is Bill Rose. I believe in this guy. We've been friends for quite some time. He actually pastors a church called Oasis Church in Holly Springs. The brother is gifted. And I decided to let him preach from this platform because his wife, Jennifer, is about 31, 32 weeks pregnant, and she is due with that child on Easter weekend. And so as Bill and I were talking one day, he's like, bro, I just don't know, man. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to be in church on Easter Sunday. And he told me about this message that he was thinking about and preparing on Jonah. And he told me about the way in which he's gonna tie the parallels of Jonah to Jesus. And if you've never heard this perspective from Jonah looking into the gospel of Jesus, you are going to be blown away today. 
So it is with great joy, great excitement that I have the unbelievable privilege to introduce to you my friend, Pastor Bill Rose. Do what you do, grab your pens, grab your teaching notes, grab your Bible, and let's welcome him to the stage of New Hope Church. Give it up for him. What's up, New Hope Church? Y'all good? Everybody doing well? Man, I am pumped up to be here today. Let me take a moment and just say hey to all of our campuses from Hillsboro all the way to Wake Forest. Hey, I heard earlier that Wake Forest is a portable campus, and I know Pastor Benji is not supposed to have favorites, but these aren't my kids. So you're my favorite campus uh, because you're our portable campus. Our church started as a portable church, set up, tear down, load in, load out, and man, can that get exhausting. And I just wanna say to those of you who work so hard to pull off church every Sunday, uh, kudos to you. You're awesome. And um, you're changing lives by the sweat of your brows. And then uh, for those of you in Garner, pumped to be preaching to you today. And then Sanford, howdy, how's it going? Um, we've got Columbia in the house. Of course, we've got our Durham campus. And then the balcony, they're their own campus here at Durham. <laughs> and then we've got a Monday night crowd and we're not gonna overlook our friends in Kenya. Man, we are so pumped to start uh, church today with you. And, and honestly, I am... Um, I just, I wanted to start this message by just saying thank you to New Hope Church. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, when I started feeling this drive to start a new church, I, like every other church pastor and planter, people that are starting churches do, I just visited a bunch of churches with a critical spirit. Cause that's what you do. Like when you're wanting to start a church, you just visit around and like talk about what you're going to do better. Cause that's what you do when you, when you're young and dumb and you think you know it all. Well, I came to New Hope and I was a little bit late. Some people were incredibly uh, generous in the parking lot, joyful. They brought me in, ushered me to a seat right over here. And I stood here in worship and I lifted my hands and I was able to just release myself and pray and worship. And Pastor Benji shared a little snippet about New Hope and how it got started. And it just got me all worked up and I ended up in tears in the prayer room. And uh, there were three women in the prayer room. I wouldn't be able to spot you if I saw you today, but... Uh, you were so encouraging to me and you prayed God's provision and his blessing and his hand of anointing on me. And the presence of the Holy Spirit was so thick in that prayer room. And uh, you didn't know it and neither did I, did I, that I would be standing here one day thanking you and your prayer team just for your commitment to prayer and the power of God flowing through uh, you. New Hope has paved the way for Oasis. Uh, we are a church that's modeled very similar to yours. We have been watching you from a distance. In fact, uh, since my first visit here, I've brought my launch team, my staff, a lot of our leaders have come to various church events, including Insight Conference. Uh, we've done all staff with your teams and your leadership, uh, been encouraged and inspired by your church. We kind of want to be just like you. You know, we, we just really hope that God would use uh, us the way he's used yours. And so that's why I'm actually releasing a new book entitled Reckless <laughs> But Redeemable. And, and I'm, I'm, pumped, I'm pumped about my book because uh, unlike Pastor Benji, I am going to take a profit from this book. Okay, so wherever you buy this book, I'm getting the proceeds from it. Um, no, for real though, don't you just love your pastor? I... I 
I am inspired by this man and his hard work, his tenacity for ministry and for God's people. And um, he's made a big difference in my life. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this and then I'll move on. Um, when I met with Pastor Benji for the first time having coffee, um, I didn't know that it would lead to New Hope sponsoring Oasis Church on a monthly basis financially. So he had asked a bunch of churches to sponsor us financially and nobody did. So I gave up. I never asked Pastor Benji or New Hope. You guys just decided to do it. And it was a huge blessing. And you're the only church and Pastor Benji is the only pastor that sponsored us financially on a monthly basis when we were getting started. And so I just wanna say thank you. Thank you, Pastor Benji, if you're watching online. And um, I'm just really, really thankful to be here uh, today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like music? Any music lovers in the house? Yes, all across the room. If you don't like music, you're probably kind of odd, but most of us love music in some way. How many of you like uh, any hip hop lovers in the house? Hip hop, hip hop? Okay, all right. Any uh, country music fans in the house? Sanford, Sanford, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about rock music? Anybody rock and roll? Like, yeah, rock music will damn your soul. That's what I had a pastor tell me when I was a teenager. But we all like music. How many of you have ever been in a situation though where you're singing like a song? Maybe it's your favorite song or just a song you heard on the radio and you've got the wrong lyrics. Anybody ever you done that? Where, like maybe a family member points out, hey, you're singing the wrong lyrics. It's kind of embarrassing, but also funny, right? Because you, you thought you knew the song and, and you got most of it right, but it doesn't matter like how passionate your vibrato is. Like if you... If you got the wrong lyrics, you, you misheard the song, you got the wrong song. Uh, any Tonight Show fans in the house? Tonight Show? Okay, Jimmy Fallon, you probably recognize his name a little more. He recently took over the Tonight Show. He does this bit on Wednesdays where he releases a hashtag on Twitter and he asks people to interact with him via their cell phones. This is a great way that he engages his audiences. So he asked the audience to tweet out using the hashtag misheard lyrics and tweet out some songs that you misheard and maybe you were singing wrong. And so I got a couple for you. I just want to show you. Um, the first one, Iode says, I want to rock and roll all night and part of every day. <laughs> like, like I want to, I'm going to rock and roll all night, but tomorrow from like three to four, I'm going hard. You know, uh, there's a, another one, another one. Uh, Kimberly's 21 says, when I was little, I thought the song was Bob, 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 or Ann. My parents are named Bob and Ann. How, how sad is it that one day she found out, wait, that song's not about my parents? This guy or girl says, we've been spending most of our life living with a gangster's pair of dice. <laughs> She's as white as they come. I'm just saying, so... That's hilarious. All right, next person, next one. Oh, let's see if I can do this. There we go. I heard, if you start me up by the Rolling Stones as, in Yugoslavia, you'll never starve. <laughs> in Yugoslavia, you'll never starve. You know that song? Yeah, me either. It's the wrong lyrics. <laughs> so, and then this is the last one, and it's, it's my favorite one. When I was young, I thought the Lion King started with Pennsylvania. That my wife is 30 weeks pregnant. This is what I'm going to do when the baby's born. Pennsylvania. It's going to be great. I'm so, so excited. 
And see, here's the thing. This is funny, right? This is funny when it's a song. It's not a big deal when it's a song. It's hilarious. Like it's, you know, you can sing most of the song, get a few lyrics wrong. It's funny. It's delightful. But let me ask you this question. I'm going to turn it on you for a second. What do you do when you find out that you've misheard God's word? You've been believing something about God's word or you've been caught up singing the wrong lyrics or or believing the wrong thing about the intentions of the author or the inspiration of scripture? I mean, what do you do when you kind of come to a spot where you realize, I, I got this wrong. I, I, I've been reading it wrong. I've been, I've been thinking about it wrong. I've been living my whole life with a gangster's paradise. So, I mean, like, <laughs> where, what do you do when you get to that spot and you realize you had the wrong lyrics? Let me give you an example of this. The book of Jonah. Jonah is a great book in the Old Testament. It's four chapters long. And if you've ever heard the story of Jonah, you know that Jonah uh, was a prophet who was called by God to reach a city called Nineveh. And he runs away. He ends up in the belly of a, of a whale. And, 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 we, and we know this story so well because we learned it when we were kids, but we've not really revisited the book for a number of years. And as adults, we're talking about the whale. And then somebody points out it wasn't a whale. Couldn't have been a whale. The Bible says it was a fish and whales are mammals. So then we're confused. Well, what fish was it? And what fish is large enough to swallow a man and for that man to live? And then we get caught up in the fish and we start trying to figure out like what kind of fish could this have been? Maybe Jonah wasn't swallowed whole. Maybe, maybe Jonah was stuck in the lip of a fish and he happened to survive. There was an air bubble that he breathed. We start trying to explain it away and then eventually we're just like... Uh, I, you know, this, the Jonah, Jonah is a book for kids because the whale swallows him and, and I don't understand it all. And we get caught up in the fish. The name of my message today is it's not about the fish. It's the story is not about the fish. There's like two or three verses dedicated to the fish of all four chapters. And we grow up with this mindset, like it's about the fish. It's about a man who was swallowed by a fish and we, we, we write it off, we get hung up on the fish. And so what I'm hoping to do today is just take you through some of the elements of the story of Jonah and unpack this book in a way that maybe you'll leave here with a greater understanding of the book of Jonah, but also a broader perspective about the power of God and the power of Jesus in your and in my life. Is that cool? All right, let's do it. I like the way y'all talk back. My church is like the frozen chosen sometimes. They'll just sit there and look at me. Yes, Papa, keep, keep reading, you know. All right. Jonah had a calling that he could not run from. He had a calling that he could not run from. I'm gonna read it to you, okay? The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So Nineveh is a wicked country, but Jonah still called. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. Like he didn't even intend to go in the right direction. He just went the opposite way. How many of you ever, you ever woke up on your day off and thought, I'm gonna be productive today and I'm gonna get some things done around the house, but you ended up on your butt watching CNN or Fox News all day, anybody? See, at least you had good intentions though. Like some of you started out this year, your intention was to get to the gym and get in shape and. You kept going to Krispy Kreme instead, but you had good intentions, right? Like you, your desire was to do it, 
Jonah never even had intentions. It literally, he got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Never intended to actually do what God called him to do. He went in the complete opposite direction and he found himself in a place that he never thought he'd be. How many of you know that whenever you choose to disobey God, sin is pleasurable for a time. The Bible says it's pleasurable for a season, but there will come a day of reckoning. And we all, you know, that's why we sin is because it's fun, right? This is why we do it, we enjoy it. But enough time disobeying God and not surrendering ourselves to the will of God for our lives, we'll find ourselves literally going down. Check this out. This is a map. Jonah, he lives here in Gath Hefer, and he goes down to Joppa, the Bible says. Goes down to Joppa, and then he gets on a boat, and he goes as far away from the area of his mission that he could get. Sin will always take you down, and on your journey away from God, you'll always find yourself in a situation that you wish you hadn't have been in. Like the wages of sin is death. That's, that's, the, that's Romans. And, and sometimes we think about that scripture and we're like, well, I'm not dead yet. You know, it's like, I'll just, I'll accept right when I get, but it's not just a physical death because where sin reigns, death is always imminent. So if sin reigns in, reigns in your marriage, it won't be long before you see the death of that marriage. How many of you know a relationship, maybe your own, that it went down because one or the other of you or both were selfish and sinful? Typically, that's how it works. How many of you know somebody or maybe you have been terminated by your company because of your own selfish, sinful decisions? It's because where there is sin, death is nearby. And this is the, this is the message that God had for Nineveh. So Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh and say, hey, you're sinning and you need to stop or you're gonna die. And this isn't a bad message. Like we always paint these pictures, like Jonah wasn't, he was just saying what God told him to say. He was, that's all he was supposed to do was say that. But that's not a terrible message. The point of the story is God wants to save Nineveh because God loves Nineveh. So he sent Jonah to warn Nineveh of an impending destruction because he loved them. God loves, how many of you know, God loves all people. What about those people? Yeah, he loves them too. God, God loves all people everywhere. One of the languages that we use at Oasis Church is that we are a radically inclusive church. We go out of our way to include people into our body. The language you use, we stole it from you, uh, is reach, and teach, and release. We actually don't use that, but it's the same concept. Like we, if we exist to reach the world, then we have to get comfortable with all people finding their seat in this house. Hey, even if they don't believe like we believe, we don't love them because they believe like us. We love people because they're humans <laughs> made in the likeness and the image of God. So we just love people right where they are. This is the heart of God for all people. This is why God would send Jonah to Nineveh. 
Jonah hated Nineveh. He was afraid of them. They were his enemies. They, they had nothing in common with Jonah. They were sinners. They were wicked people. They were known for torturing and literally skinning their enemies, like just skin them. And I think Jonah appreciated having skin. So he was like, I'm just gonna get as far away from there as possible. And he had an intense fear of a certain people group. Today we call that racism. And Jonah would sit down with all of his other prophet buddies and listen to Caleb. <laughs> they followed all the best preachers on Instagram and uh, they loved quoting their favorite theologians. But when it came time to do the dirty work of reaching all people, Jonah dipped out and he disobeyed. And it took him to a place that he never thought he'd be. And so here's the storm. There was a storm that he could not ignore. There's a calling that he could not run from. And there was a storm that he could not ignore. But the Lord humbled, hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. The Lord hurled it. Like imagine picking up a, a, a sphere, a sphere, a spear. <laughs> I mean, the Lord could throw a sphere too. I mean, he threw the earth into an existence, but just think about a spear. He hurled it, a storm at Jonah. How many of you ever been through a storm? You've been through a storm in your life? Like, like I've been through some storms. There's, a, there's three kinds of storms, okay? Um, and it's important for us to know this. There's, there's storms that are like protecting storms, Right? This, is the, this is the storm that you went through when you were in college. It was a bad breakup or something. And like 10 years later, you get Facebook and you look back at the person that you broke up with and you're like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> right? Like you protected me from that. Some storms are there to protect us. And these storms, they make us, they make us say this. They make us say, my God. Like my God is good. My God looks out for me. My God cares. Look at how he protected me. He used that storm to protect me. Sometimes you go through storms that are there, not necessarily to protect you, but to prepare you. It's preparing you for something in your future. Joseph experienced this kind of storm. In the Old Testament, Joseph was thrown into a pit by all of his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He lived most of his life in prison and eventually ended up in the palace at the right hand of a king, staring his evil brothers in the eyes and saying, I got you. How did Joseph go from the pit to the palace? It's because God used the pit and the prison and the slavery to prepare him. And this is the kind of storm that you go through. You look back and go, my goodness. I actually, I was, I was literally telling someone a little bit about my testimony earlier backstage and they said, my, my goodness. Because th this is the way it works. Like you have storms that, where you say, my God, thank you God for protecting me. And then there are storms that make you go, my goodness. Like you worked all that for the good of those who love you, right? Uh, when I was um, a kid, I grew up in Dallas, Texas to abusive and addicted parents. In Dallas, Falcon House, Dallas, yeah. Um, I... 
I, man, we lived on and off the streets. My dad was in and out of prison. Um, there were nights where I was laying on the floor because of gunshots in our community. Like this, is, this was my childhood. By the time I was eight years old, I was taken out of that situation and placed in foster care just outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina. My, some of my school teachers had seen bruises and saw the signs of neglect. And so from being physically abused and sexually abused and just all the stuff as a child, I was extracted out of that. And for me, that was a great storm. It doesn't matter what your story is. Like if you're a kid and you get taken out of your parents' home, it doesn't matter how bad it is. That's all that you know, that's a storm. I lived at Falcon Children's Home for almost six years. I was adopted by a pastor. I was saved at the children's home, adopted by a pastor. They sent me to school and paid part of my education. I'm paying the rest of it still. <laughs> but looking back, I see the storm. I see that God protected me. Because imagine what I would be today had God not ever taken me out of that scenario. And I see where God prepared me. Because actually uh, in just a few weeks, I'll be in Garner teaching a hundred or speak telling my story to a hundred foster kids in a level four facility, a behavior healthcare facility. Do you think that my storm prepared me for this talk? Yeah. Today I sit on the board of directors for the Falcon Children's Home where I grew up. Do you think that my storm prepared me? So we have these storms, but they are both protecting us and preparing us. But there's a third kind of storm. This is the kind of storm that Jonah's going through. It's a, it's, a, it's a storm that corrects you. It's a storm that makes you say, my bad. <laughs> like you were disobedient, so God corrected you. Like my, I went through foreclosure on my home because I shouldn't have financed that house to begin with, my bad. For sometimes the storm isn't because we're the victim. The storm is because I made a bad decision. I, I got my car towed because I parked in the no parking zone, right? I got a speeding ticket because I was speeding. Exactly. Like these are the kinds of storms that make us go, my, my bad. I'm sorry. Like I always imagined uh, Adam and Eve, when, when Eve bite the apple, I always imagined her saying, my bad, with her mouth full. Oh, my bad. Like, because these are the kinds of things we bring them on ourselves. And Jonah Jonah brought this storm on himself. It, Jonah decided to leave. Jonah was disobedient. Jonah got on a boat and went the opposite direction. What do you expect whenever you're that disobedient to God? So God hurls a storm at Jonah, a storm that he could not ignore. And he knew it. He says in verse 12, throw me into the sea. Speaking to his crewmates, the guys that are on the ship. Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. You ever been a part of the storm that you knew was your fault? Jonah had a moment where he was like, ah, oh, guys. See, what happened was Jonah got on the boat. He went to sleep. They came down into the hole of the boat. The captain woke him up. He's like, dude, there's a storm out here. And we're all trying to figure out because we recognize this storm is different than normal. They're sailors. Like they've sailed through storms. This one was a supernatural storm. This storm got the, the attention of the sailors and they knew it had to be something from the gods. So they worshiped all these other gods. They were all talking amongst themselves. I wonder whose God is punishing us and why. So they get Jonah, they look him in the eyes and they're like, who, like, what God do you serve? And Jonah begins to tell them, yeah, it's, this is my God. This is my fault. So the only way 
that they could find peace and calm in the storm was how? To throw him overboard. He was like, I'll go. Jonah would rather die than say, hey God, I, okay, God, I'll go. <laughs> I'll go back to the, to, to the Ninevites and I'll share the message of hope and salvation. But he says to the guys, just throw me overboard. And so, so they do. This brings a sacrifice that brought peace a sacrifice that brought peace. I'm gonna read you verse 15. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Isn't it crazy how Jonah's not even being obedient to God, yet God's still using his disobedience to bring others into a knowing relationship with himself. Like Jonah's disobeying and he's running and he's on the run and God still uses that to save these sailors. Jonah is a great sacrifice that brings peace. And it says when he goes under that he has a few days in the belly, then he resurfaces. A few days in the belly, then a resurfacing. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights, all right? And then in Jonah 2.10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. A few days in the belly of a great fish, then a resurfacing happened. And this is the part where we get hung up. I mean, what kind of fish do you think it was? I mean, I was reading a book one time I don't know. I mean, do you think it's a literal story or metaphorical story? Is this a poem? <laughs> God, what are you trying to say? And so we get hung up on this fish thing. There was a, uh, I got a joke for you. It's a preacher joke, but it, I hope it's okay. You're not supposed to start off jokes by saying I have a joke, but I have a joke. Okay, so there's a little girl, there's a little girl in school. She was being taught by her teacher about whales. And the teacher was going over the bone and the anatomy of a whale and um, the little girl says, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher was like, no, Jonah wasn't swallowed by a whale. The throat on a whale is actually way too small for a human being to pass through. So definitely couldn't have been a whale. And the little girl's like, no, it's, it was a whale. I, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. And the teacher was like, no, 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 no. It's, you, you don't understand, honey. It's scientifically impossible that Jonah got swallowed by a whale. And the little girl was like, it was a whale. When I get to heaven, I'll go to Jonah and I'll ask him. Did you get swallowed by a whale, Jonah? And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl said, well, you ask him. <laughs> so, so, so what, why did I tell that joke? Why does it matter? Um, there's a reason because I don't really care what you think about the literal versus the metaphorical. Like I, I'll give you permission to have your own viewpoint on how it all unfolded and, and what happened. I mean, you could research the fish all day, but the point is, it's not about the fish. The whole story, it's, it's not about the fish. And I'll tell you what I believe about the story and I'll tell you why. I believe what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, he said, for as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, he didn't say, for as the poem saith that Jonah was in the... He said, so will the son of man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. 
And if, if Jesus believed that the story of Jonah was literal, that gives me permission to believe that it's a literal story. You know why? Because like when somebody predicts their own death, burial, and resurrection, you just sort of go along with what they say. <laughs> you, just, you just believe what they believe. And so Jesus said it, so I believe it. But this scripture tells me something more. It's not about the fish. There's a deeper story being written. When Jesus says this, Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so I will be in the belly of the earth. What he's saying is the story of Jonah, is, it's about me. And don't get caught up on the fish talk. Recognize the Savior in the story. In this story, you and I are not Jonah. We're the Ninevites. Jonah is a picture or a foreshadowing or a trace of Jesus to come. Jonah is a, a, an, an illustration of a savior. Can the story be both literal and figurative? I believe it can be. God is the author of all creation and all humanity and he writes the story of humanity with his hands. He's the author and he's in charge of every page. So as God is writing the story of all of humanity throughout the ages, he writes in the story of Jesus so that one day we can look back and go, wow, there's Jesus right here in the story of Jonah. Jonah had a calling to reach people who were far from God. Why did Jesus say he came? To seek and save those who were lost. There was a storm that he could not Nor do you remember the storm when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples on, actually in a storm and he was asleep in the boat and the storm was crazy and they came and they woke Jesus up and Jesus is like, be still and the storm calms down. And then the disciples freak out because they're like, this guy's in charge of the weather. <laughs> so there's a great storm. Then there's a sacrifice for salvation, a sacrifice so that the men on the boat can live Then there's three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. That is Jesus in the grave, in the heart of the earth. And then there's a miraculous, not a resurfacing, a resurrection. When I was a kid, I always imagined the whale spewed Jonah up out of his blowhole. But But we know from scripture that Jesus, by his very own power, the power of the Holy Spirit in him, rolled the stone away and came out of the tomb. Man, the whole story of Jonah is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. All scripture is about Jesus. Jesus even says this in John chapter five, he's talking to his disciples. He's like, he's actually talking to some Pharisees and he says, hey man, you guys go to the scripture looking for life. But what you don't realize is that all the scriptures point to me. That the reason why those words have life is because those words are about the word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The words of scripture are about me. He says that in John 5. He goes on in Luke 24, he's teaching his disciples. He says, it says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Let me take you through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Say that as fast as you can. And then he says, and all the prophets 
And he goes on in Luke 24 later in the chapter, he says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It was like in that moment, all of a sudden, they're picking up what he's putting down. All of the old, okay, so let's go through the stories together. Jesus is like, you remember the story about Adam and Eve? That's not a story about a couple who were naked and ashamed in a garden. That's a story about a loving God who sacrificed and used the skin of that sacrifice to clothe the shame and the nakedness of the people he loved. And that sacrifice was me. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? That's not a story about two brothers who fought a lot and one killed the other because of his offering to God. That's a story about a man who was innocently murdered. Except my blood doesn't cry out for the condemnation of the killer. My blood cries out for mercy and compassion and salvation of the killer. He says, remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? That's not a story about an old barren couple who left their hometown and left their comfort zone to sort of pursue another land and have some children. I mean, it, that's part of the story, but you misheard the lyrics because the story is about an eternal God who sits on the heavenly throne and he stands up out of his throne and he counts divinity as something not to be grasped and he left heaven, Philippians chapter two, and he goes to earth in the form of a man named Jesus. It's about a God who takes a long journey, not so that he can have new children, but so that he could claim a generation for his own. This is Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Remember the story of Isaac. It's not a story about a little boy who's had a cruel dad who was about to kill him on the mountaintop. It's a story about a sheep that was in the bush that showed up just in time. And the sheep was slaughtered and the wrath of God was placed on that instead of the very people he loves. Isaac had a son, Joseph. You know the story, Joseph? It's not a story about some mean brothers who threw their brother in a pit and sold him into slavery. It's a story about one who rose to a throne not from rags to riches, but from riches to riches, from riches to rags to riches. And at the right hand of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he offers mercy and compassion to the very brothers that threw him in the pit to begin with. And he leverages his authority to take care of those who were considered his enemies. How about Moses? Moses, the great bearded man on the mountaintop. He goes up to the mountain. He comes back with new rules for living. It's not a story about new rules for living. I mean, that's part of the story. But the whole story is that Moses represents a mediator between God and man. There is but one man who is a mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, you see this. Even the story of David and Goliath. <laughs> it's not a story about a little boy with a, some stones and some sticks who kills a giant. The 
story of David and Goliath, I'm not David. I'm the Israelites over there hiding. David is Jesus. And he uses some sticks and a stone, some sticks on the cross and a stone over the tomb to knock down and defeat sin and death and everything that the enemy might lord over us. And we get to bask in that, in that, in that celebration of that victory. We get, to, we get to brag on the fact that Jesus stood in our stead in a battle that none of us could win on our own. Jesus stepped up and in his power and in his spirit, he defeated sin, death, and the enemy. See, David and Goliath isn't about a shepherd boy. It's about a sheep who was slaughtered. It's about a Jesus who defeated. It's about Easter. This is the story of the gospel. And it's in the book of Jonah. You are not Jonah. I'm not Jonah. We are the Ninevites. Jesus is a greater Jonah. Jesus is Jonah. Jonah was commanded to preach the word of God, but Jesus came as the word of God. Jonah would rather die than reach those sinners, but Jesus did die so that he could reach those sinners. Jonah was thrown into the sea to appease God's wrath against himself, but Jesus threw himself into the sea of God's wrath to appease God's wrath against you and I. Jonah saw a king get off his throne to repent, but Jesus, the King of Kings, got off of his own throne so that you and I could repent. And God used Jonah to save a nation, but God used Jesus to save people from all nations and all tribes and all tongues. That's why we're a church for all people. You know, Jonah went to Nineveh with a message. He said, look, you gotta repent or you're gonna die. Essentially, he was saying, God loves you so much. He sent me to tell you this beforehand, to surrender your life to God. And as I read the story of Jonah, every single person in the entire book every one of them, they repent. They surrender their life to God. The people on the boat repented. They gave their life to God. The king of Nineveh repented. He called for a nationwide fast. All of the king's men repented. All of the commoners in Nineveh surrendered their life to God. Some 600,000 people. Jonah walked around the streets and he said, will you repent? They said, I will. Yeah, I will. Hey, what about you? Will you repent? Yes, I will. Hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Will will you repent? Yes, I will. Every person in the story. Which leads me to ask you this. What about you? Something I believe God is up to in this church and in this uh, region, through the New Hope movement and through Oasis Church and the many others out there who are preaching the gospel, I believe God is up to this, a great revival. Here's the cool thing about the book of Jonah, that you get to have a part of the book of Jonah. If you say, yes, I will. Yes, I will. 
So my question to you is, will you follow? Will you surrender everything? I'm not talking about just part of you, half of you, some of you. Like, don't ride on your parents' coattails of faith. Like, literally surrender yourself, your life, who I am. I want to be a, 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 a dad who is sold out to Jesus. I want to be a husband who's sold out to the gospel. I don't want to be a husband who just goes to church when it's convenient because my wife really wants me to. I want to be a man who's on fire, and I'm the first one to wake up in the morning and say, let's get to church. What about you? Are you fully surrendered to God? I want to say a prayer and invite you to do that, just that. God, I fully surrender to you. I recognize the power of your gospel and the impact of that message throughout the ages, and I want to be a part of this great revival. If you're here today and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, would you pray with me? In fact, I'm going to ask every person in the room to bow your head and close your eyes, and let's pray together. Every head's bowed and eyes are closed. If you are the person that says, I, I want to surrender my life completely to God, you just pray this prayer after me in your own heart. You don't have to say it out loud. Say something like this, and you can do this on all of our campuses, wherever you are watching online. You can pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I see your power. I want to know you. And starting today, I surrender my life to you. I'm yours. And I pray that you would give me the strength and the courage to take this day by day, step by step, and surrender to you. Yes, I will. And every head still bowed and eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer with me right here in person or even across our campuses, would you lift a hand, make eye contact with me? That's amazing. Awesome. 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 I see you. That's incredible. God, I thank you for all these hands all across the room. Father, you are so good. Thank you. God, I pray for every person who lifted a hand to simply say, yes, I will. God, that you would empower them, enable them, give them the courage to confess that to somebody and to walk this out. God, we love you. And we're thankful for all the things that you're doing in our church and in this region. We surrender to you today in Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we give it up for those who surrendered their life to Jesus today? That was awesome. And do me a favor, stand up right where you are. I want to encourage you to respond in worship to the word of God today. God, so will I. Yes, I will. I'm yours. Amen.